This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Ryan Stock. Hi, Ryan. So hey, you, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, you too. Good to catch up. Yeah, it's awesome. So why don't you sort of take us back to the beginning? Where did it all start for you? Yeah, well, as you know, you and I have worked together on a couple projects before the pod, but um, I think for me, the the way that I'll reframe this a little bit is I'll talk about a couple of the revelatory moments for me, so to speak, leading up to reframing my relationship with with alcohol. And if it's cool, you will dive into uh, the process afterwards as well. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds awesome. Okay, cool. So as I mentioned, the, the first time uh, I think I really realized I needed to to reframe my relationship or that something was was broken was around the time I was 34 uh, I was actually my 34th birthday uh, I was coaching college basketball at the time in an intense industry like you were in one that celebrated the highs and the lows so drank when you won drank when you lost um, you know drinking to celebrate or drain away your sorrows as they say um, but on my 34th birthday, we won the game. I was coached by double digits. It was my birthday, and I found out I was going to be a father. So all what should have been super positive experiences for anyone, but especially for me in my life. And I found myself drinking by myself in the kitchen at midnight. And so while I didn't know it at the time, that was the first time where I was like, something needs to change, but I, I don't know what. So I thought at that time, it was my profession. And then I just needed to reframe what I was doing, who I was working for, whatever the case may be. So fast forward a couple of years, that was very clearly not it. I got out of coaching. I started to dive into the entrepreneurial world, studied behavior assessments, learning more about the mind, why we do the things we do. I did a year-long intensive practice program in and around meditation, yoga. So I was doing all these super um, deep spiritual things to try and get more clarity on what was the lack of self-love or what I was feeling, but nothing was working. I was doing all this reflective work, uh, a deep dive, and, um, and nothing was really changing, but I still hadn't realized it at the time. So fast forward a couple of years, as I mentioned, um, to right around where I start the, the book that you and I connected on called One Last Drop. And this was about two years before I decided to, to reframe my relationship with alcohol. So I think in the book, it's 680 days before. But my son's mom and I are going through a nasty divorce now. Um, and my routine was I would drop him off with her around 4 p.m. And then I'd usually go watch football on Sunday, have some beers, and we go pass out on my couch or um, you know, get a couple beers and then just call it a night. 
Um, but, and I, I don't blame my son's mom at all. Uh, we have a good relationship now. It was super intense this weekend and she was trying to get a reaction out of me, had asked me if I ever thought about killing myself to make it easier on her and my son. I know she didn't mean it. She was just saying something to get a reaction. Um, unfortunately, that was where our relationship was at the time. But regardless, it was still super painful, super intense for me. So this night I got good and drunk. Thought I could drive, obviously could not. And on my drive home, clipped the curb. Luckily, by the grace of God or whoever, I made my way to a gas station. It was about 500 feet away. Another 500 feet from there was a hotel. Um, so I, I made it through and no one really knew the difference except for me. And what should have been a gigantic warning sign, I plowed right through. Um, so fast forward a couple more years. Now we're like 180 days out. Um, and this is all before the book technically starts. Um, I'm doing a yoga workshop with my new partner. Things haven't really changed. I actually drank less in the end than I did back in my coaching and playing days as an athlete. Um, did you drink, like how was your relationship with alcohol growing up? Um, yeah, so I've, I've listened to some of your other pods and, and this is what I think's interesting about alcohol in general is I would, I would characterize it as normal. Um, but what I've learned since then is our definitions of normal, what I might perceive as normal could be extreme for someone else or, or not much. What I do know I did unconsciously was I always surrounded myself by people that drank heavily. Uh, and that, that started in college, like my roommates and I, we always partied really heavily. Like if we didn't drink the night before a game, we definitely drank in excess after the game. Um, and that went all the way from the time I was in my 20s, like I said, quite literally through my early 30s when I was coaching and I was still drinking really heavily. So when I say drinking heavily, I, I mean um, 8, 10, 12 drinks in the night, shots, all that stuff, multiple mm -hmm. times a week usually. Um, and yeah, that carried me all the way through until up to like this 180 day mark. Does that answer your question? Sure. Pretty, so pretty intensely, I, I think most people would say. Um, but it wasn't like, especially in, in college or as a coach, I didn't think I was drinking um, to like not feel. Uh, I think I did have a, a battle with perfectionism that happens, I think, in, in both of our industries where nothing was ever good enough. You know, part of the challenge I had as an athlete, as a coach was if you lost that wasn't good enough. You wanted to win. If you won by two, you shot, you, you, you thought you should have won by double digits. If you won by double digits, it was on to the next game. So the irony in that was you're never present, you know, and now that I'm into mindfulness yoga, I understand the importance of, of being in the moment, you know, especially without alcohol and the beauty of that. But at the time I was never wanting to feel and nothing was ever good enough. And so alcohol was the answer to that. You know, I was, drinking most nights if not every night and not wanting to feel and never wanting to process emotions not wanting to be present and that happened all the way through until with your help I reframed my relationship with alcohol awesome but back to that uh 180 days before so I was I was doing a, a yoga workshop with my now partner um so this is 
right when COVID was starting, her and I had had a, a pretty volatile relationship full of highs and lows, like a lot of relationships that center around um, a high dependency in and around alcohol. And um, this night was going well, but I'd been off for a couple of weeks uh, physically more than anything, not feeling very energetic, not wanting to eat. As a result, I was drinking more energy drinks. I'd had food poisoning a couple of weeks before this. Um, so I'd thrown up quite a bit that night. And yeah, just fell off. I've always had a pretty good connection and intuition with my body. Um, but for whatever reason on this night in particular, something felt broken. So she eats regular meal. I barely touch my food, but I'm drinking still this night. And uh, we go home. I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm sorry if this is a little graphic, but I, I threw up 100% blood at like two, three in the morning. Oh, wow. Yikes. So, yeah, go back to sleep. Ignore it. Like it's just going to go away or something. A few hours roll by and I throw up blood again. But I'm supposed to have my son in the morning. So I'm trying to play it off, tough it out, do all those macho silly things and um and so yeah he gets there in the morning and this is one of the really powerful moments for me and what should have been you know the final straw but still was not for me and uh, I'll never forget it so my partner had to go teach yoga I'm with my son watching a kid's movie in the morning and I can tell I'm gonna throw up again and I know it's gonna be blood so I go into the bathroom my son's like three at the time and yeah I'm throwing up 100% blood again and he walks in and sees and he can see that I'm, I'm throwing up blood and he's like what's wrong daddy and I'm trying to act like nothing's wrong but this is a super intense heavy moment I don't know what's wrong I can tell it's something really serious and um, you know here's my child like, trying to pat me on the back take care of me and um, that was yeah, super intense um, super powerful but it it still wasn't enough and I I share that story because I know for a lot of people, they really struggle with that pull of, of alcohol and wanting to step away, but not being able to. And this is a moment where I, I stepped away from alcohol for a few months, um, but I, I went right back into it. And, and what should have been a really aha moment for me, like stop. Um, a, a couple more months went by and with COVID and then the fact that my partner at the time, her and I lost a child, um, she was like five, six, six weeks into her pregnancy. Oh, wow. um, went through a lot of, of super intense emotions that, that kind of triggered it back and started the drinking right back up again. And it wasn't until a few months after that that she finally gave me the, the ultimatum that yeah, something, something has to change. I don't want to be in this relationship anymore with alcohol in your life. So until you're done with alcohol, I'm done with the, with the relationship. So that, that moment was the moment where I, I decided to stop drinking. And that's what also started the, the book that, that you and I have referenced where I wrote One Last Drop. And, and that came across because I, I no longer had an outlet to release all these super intense emotions, which was alcohol for me. And I shouldn't say an outlet, a, a numbing agent would be a better way of putting it. But now that I'm feeling all these super intense emotions, my release was writing. And I was writing like 2000 words a day 10 pages essentially of just thoughts, feelings, emotions that I was pouring out. And um, these letters ended up being letters to my son over the course of the first 30 days of just what I was thinking, feeling, um, healing. And, um, and I tie those letters into what I've since realized were the three imbalances in my life, which was alcohol, athletics, 
and love. So I, I write a letter to my son each day. I tie it into an athletic memory. I weave in stories of the relationships and the imbalances that occurred with all three. And, um, and yeah, that book's then been now since been turned into a documentary that's doing real well. It's on the film festival circuit. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until that, that day one um, and then the writing of the book and, and the collecting of all the thoughts that I reframed my relationship with alcohol and have since found so much beauty and, and depth in my life that I didn't know existed because for years and years, uh, I was just numbing it out with alcohol and had all these unconscious beliefs that weren't real, but that you feel super intensely at the time. And, and all the things that I know you reference on this podcast all the time that and everything from it makes sexual experiences better to it makes you more confident, makes you more funny. All the things you sincerely believe at the time, but that in actuality aren't true. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until probably weeks later that I was able to, to see, feel and experience that clarity at a level that I had never felt before. That's awesome. So um, in those early days, uh, what sort of things, yeah, what sort of things are really helpful for you? Well, one of the, the powerful moments of the book and what was the most helpful experience for me that, that, again, I'll share with your listeners was around day four, which to me was was when I truly kind of bottomed out, honestly. Um, so I'd been away from alcohol for a few days, went and saw a therapist for the first time and was brutally honest about my relationship with alcohol, um, the relationship I had with my partner a lot of these imbalances I had going on with my life and I'm like sobbing through, you know, half the session. And um, at the end, she wraps it up by saying, well, most imbalances, whether it's alcohol or another drug or whatever it is, you know, social media, sexual addictions, it all stems around a lack of self-love. So it's going to start there for you. Can you do that? Can you start with self-love? And I looked her straight in the eyes and I said, no, I can't love myself. I don't think I deserve love. And it's not very often that you see a therapist, you know, jaw drop or see their breath taken away. But I could tell she was like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't think I deserve love. I've been a terrible partner. I haven't been successful professionally because of the hold that I feel like alcohol has had on me. I haven't been the parent that I feel like I should have been. You know, I never let it affect my son, I didn't drink around my son, at least in excess. But as I've since learned, I was definitely having highs and lows coming up and coming down from alcohol around him. Um, so when she asked me that, I was like, no, I, I don't love myself. I don't think I deserve love. Um, but what I'll share with your listeners and what really helped me is in the beginning, that love may need to come from someone else like it came from my son. Um, I had some really strong friends in my life, my partner and I ended up getting back together for a time, people that made me feel loved and that I was worthy of love. And with their support, I found that self-love again. And then I started to realize I also had to, to shift my focus on because what I've, I've also since learned is what we focus on tends to intensify. And for me, I was focusing on all the negatives, all these failures in my life or what I couldn't be because of alcohol or you know the failures that I was going through professionally, the relationship I had with athletics. And I was intensifying those emotions, those thoughts, all the negative spaces in my life. Yeah. And if you're able to shift that and you can you know, turn the focus to the positives, gratitude, love, self-love, 
um, that will intensify too. But when you're in the moment, you know, when, especially when you're first stepping away from it or reframing it, whatever that relationship looks like for alcohol for you right now, uh, whatever you focus on is going to intensify positive or negative. And so for me, it started with self-love and reframing my relationship with myself. And then once I did that and had that gratitude, love, that positive frame of mind, um, things started to lighten up and get a little, get more enjoyable in, in every area of my life. That's awesome. Yeah, that's such an important aspect of it. I mean, if you don't have that, then it's hard to build a foundation of a life you don't really want to escape from, right? So Absolutely. And the, the other thing I, I've, I've learned that in your book was so helpful for was that the conscious unconscious mind and we perceive alcohol to be such an important part. At least I did. I shouldn't say we all, but from like social media to movies, to music, alcohol is framed in this way where to me, it felt so heavy and so important. Everything that I did um, that my unconscious mind was telling me that I couldn't do any of these things without it too. And it can grab hold of you and be so powerful that that's something that I really appreciated about you, this naked mind, your awareness and your reframing of that, which is you can enjoy all these things and it'll actually be even better for you when you take it away. But um, we're kind of pounded over the head, like I said, most of the time unconsciously through all these different platforms that I really appreciated that about you and all the work you've done to be able to reframe, step out and understand that that's not in fact um, how the world exists and there is beauty and depth in all these other areas too. Yeah, it's so funny because like we weren't born to drink alcohol. Yeah. Well, even our first experiences, and that's, uh, again, something you allude to in your book, like it, it tastes gross the first times you drink it. And I remember you talked about my early relationship. I remember the first few times I drank it. I was like, man, this is terrible, but everyone's doing it. So I guess I should keep doing it. And then eventually it stops tasting terrible. But yeah, it's nothing about... Um, the experience and that that's what I think is so bizarre and so unique about society as a whole but it's going to take speaking of conscious unconscious it's going to take such a conscious awareness of so many people to to reframe that relationship and the work like you and I are, are doing where we're trying to bring to light all these negative effects that it has on you physically mentally emotionally but until people are more confident to have those conversations and that they can exist in that space without it um you know, it is going to be difficult conversations and experiences to have. And I say that judgment free, like for people that are still drinking or it's still a part of their lives, um, you know, do, do your thing. I, like I say, I say that without judgment, um, but it is interesting that so much of it in the relationship in and around alcohol, at least for me, it's really negative, but <clears throat> as a society and, and the way it's highlighted and reframed, um, yeah, it's, it's, shown to be a positive when in actuality it has very few if any positives to it yeah for sure that's really true so from that moment of um just sort of backing up to your to your story again you had that moment of the blood and then it was e like were you did you decide i'm just going to do 30 days or how did that process work for you that was another interesting experience because i remember laying in the hospital bed in intensive care and I lost half the blood in my in my body speaking of movies from that 
moment on i was like i used to always be in disbelief when i would see people get shot or stabbed in movies and lose all this blood and i was like that's not realistic there's no way they could survive and then i went through intensive care and lost half the blood in my body i was like oh maybe it's it's not that unrealistic but i share that because i remember the doctor and i was like man i hope he tells me to stop drinking like i i was in the hospital hoping that someone would tell me to stop or that i had to stop and then i would die um and that sounds so bizarre but when you're you know, in the darkest spaces, uh, that's how your mind gets warped and how you think. And I was hoping that he would come back and say that these tests were showing that I was drinking too much and that like my liver was in bad shape or something that was going to give me an out to have to stop. Um, but he didn't. He said that it was a random combination of events. As I mentioned, I'd had food poisoning a couple of weeks before and thrown up. I was drinking a bunch of energy drinks because I wasn't eating. So that was also causing the lining in my throat to to soften so he said we would recommend you don't drink at least for a couple months and um you know from that point it's going to be up to you your tests are all coming back positive and i was like man i wish he would have just told me to stop so timeline wise in answer to your question they just suggested i take at least a couple months off and then i don't even remember what triggered it i think it was a, another relationship thing with um, my partner and I going through a difficult stretch where, you know, it started with, okay, I'm going to have a beer and a shot tonight. And then it slowly picked back up from there. But um, that was the other interesting piece of it that I, I referenced a little bit in the book was I, like number wise in the end, I drank less, um, but I was drinking at the field. I was drinking earlier in the morning. Um, like there were some days where I'd feel really sad or upset I dropped my son off at school and know that I was not going to have him again for a few days and I'd go get a beer at like 10 or 11 in the morning and um, I was clearly using it now to just not have to think and feel as opposed to earlier you know I was waiting till the night not that it was any better or any worse but I, you know earlier in my life I was drinking for celebratory reasons or at the end of the night to just have you know binge amounts of drinks i was drinking less at the end but very much using it to to not think not feel and then yeah after a couple of months it just started back up again and then what happened um once my partner and i went through those waves and um and then she gave me that ultimatum which again i i appreciate now in hindsight um and then the book started and um and yeah i think it was around day 11 day 12 her and i got back together and um i started to have all these experiences and feel the positives of my life without alcohol in it um all those things that we think makes feel better once it was removed i actually realized we're a lot better without it so like the sexual experiences conversations rebuilding my confidence in myself um, that slowly started to get better, and it was actually right around day 30 that one of the things I'm most proud of revolved around a tragedy. I had a former player that got shot and killed at his son's football game, um, and he was one of the only players. I coached junior college basketball, and then I coached at a four-year school, and I coached him at both. So he was the only player I had that I coached both junior college and the four-year. Um, so him and I had a really, um, yeah, intense, intimate relationship. And he had four kids, um, all under the age of like 10 or 11. He was engaged to his 
kid's mother had all these really positive things going in his life and got shot and killed by his child's mother's um, other baby dad over some stuff that in my in my eyes you know seems totally irrational but the point of the story is when I found all this out because I was sober and not just you know throwing myself into a bottle or getting drunk not to feel I wrote a long heartfelt post um, in remembrance of this player his name's Marky Nolan and the post went viral it got you know over 600 comments had hundreds of shares and we raised like seven thousand dollars for his family to pay for all the funeral expenses and give the mom some money to you know bridge the gap of what her new existence was going to be with all these kids and that wouldn't have you know that wouldn't have happened if i wouldn't have reframed my relationship with alcohol like i had so that was right around day 30 and then the way the book and the and the documentary end is um is on the 90th day, I'm actually attending his, his funeral, which was filled with all sorts of emotions because I was driving down all these highways in Kansas, thinking about coaching, my relationship with him, and how how often alcohol was woven into those experiences. And now um, and now it's been removed. And you know, since then I've written a couple books, like I mentioned, the the documentary that you're a part of, and I'm I'm so grateful for, but none of these things would have happened if I wouldn't have been able to reframe my relationship with alcohol, which again is a huge part to you. It was your book on day four too, that really flipped the switch for me. And, and you and I talked a little bit about this too. Um, it was always difficult for me with some of the other programs to not think that I was in control and to not understand why I was thinking and feeling the way I was doing. But because of you and, and your book and the reframing of all that, once I was understanding my unconscious mind, why I was having these thoughts, beliefs, feelings, um, yeah, I was able to reframe all of that. And I'm still a work in progress like we all are. But um, now I see, feel, experience life in a, in a totally different way, in a more beautiful way. And, um, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, that's so awesome. So what have been some of the things that have been most difficult about um, not drinking? Yeah, great question. And that one's actually pretty easy for me, from my perspective. I think the beauty of stepping away from alcohol is you feel things more intensely. The difficult part is you feel things more intensely. <laughs> so yeah. all those negative emotions, all those negative thoughts you have to sit with and you have to process right you have to breathe through you have to feel through and luckily i have meditation and yoga to help me with that but especially early on when you're learning and i i know you and i we reference our children a ton but like difficult conversations or a frustrating day with a kid um you know something that happens at work or um something in your relationship it's much harder to move through those experiences and those emotions without some type of numbing agent, it's also much, much more rewarding. So that's kind of the paradox in the reframed relationship around drugs in general, but especially with alcohol is um, life's so much more rewarding, so much more deeper, more beautiful, but it's also challenging because you are going to feel these things in a way that you've never felt before. So until you're able to 
breathe through those things and, and give yourself some tools um, in a healthy way to, to reframe those emotions, those thoughts, especially the negative ones. It can be challenging. Um, that's why most people, in my opinion, that's why most people don't do it. It is way harder to feel, to think, um, and to move through negative emotions. But if you're able to do it, then you, expe you experience all those positive ones and you manage all those negative ones in a such more beneficial way, but it's really challenging to do that. Yeah, that's so true. I for sure feel the same way. It's been like such a, like all the really good growth happens on the other side of feeling those emotions, but it's also, it's hard to get used to, you know, living just everything feels so much, it feels real it's, for the first time. It's, it's much easier to kick the can down the road, so to speak of, you know, just, having alcohol and be like, I'll just feel this or deal with this tomorrow. But then as you and I, tomorrow becomes the next day and the next day and the next day. And then you find yourself never really having to process or deal with any of the emotions. So yeah, absolutely. It's uh, more challenging, but more rewarding. Very cool. Well, is there any, any other sort of things you want to share about your journey? Um, I think the biggest things for me, it starts with love, self-love in particular. So wherever you're at in your journey, understand that you're worthy of love. That was the biggest challenge for me. Um, a lot of times we can be so judgmental and critical of ourselves, the perfectionist in me, the competitor in me, nothing was ever good enough. Um, it wasn't until I had a mentor reframe that perspective to me. He said, okay, well, close your eyes for a minute and envision everything's perfect what would you think? What would you feel then? And so I closed my eyes for a second. I was like, yeah, I would probably move right on to the next thing or that would still not be good enough. You know? And, and once he, it's like those simple yet profound moments like that, um, where I realized quit being so hard on yourself. You know, you, you deserve love. Um, be grateful for what you have going on in your life, even the difficult times. Um, so that's the biggest one. And then the other one that I mentioned with the, with the conscious, unconscious mind, to me, understand that, um, you know, from a society standpoint, I know it, it can feel and seem daunting to reframe a lot of these unconscious or perceived beliefs, especially in society. Um, but it's also way more rewarding if you're able to navigate that and navigate that in a healthy space. So to me, that was like the, the two biggest teaching points or takeaways for me in my growth and journey so far is the foundational piece of self-love, loving yourself, the good and the bad, and then understanding that that reframed and, and difficult transition of a lot of these unconscious beliefs from your social life to like the sexual experiences to confidence, um, it's challenging, but it's infinitely more rewarding if you can get through it and, and keep your head down. Or if you slip up and have a mistake, give yourself that love and, and start again. You know, that's okay too. We've all been there as well. Yeah, I think that's so important to be able to, yeah, just learn from things and, and they're all just, you know, call them data points, just places yeah. rather than places of beating yourself up. That's just awesome. That's, that's one of the things I love most about your overall message and, and how you teach us to is even something like a data point, you know, like the way you frame that is so um, forgiving and not, not in a bad way, obviously in a super positive way, but like calling it a data point instead of a failure, you know, or like... Um, and I, I see people on their platforms all the time on social media. Like I drank, 
you know, I drank today. I'm, I'm such a failure. And, and then everybody comes flooding in. You're not a failure. It's a data point. Like learn from it or look how long you went before you drank. There's so many positive ways we can reframe our experiences or our data points as you as you put it. And yeah, that's one of the things I love and appreciate about you and, and your messages. Um, it's just that, I mean, it's, we're all learning, we're all growing, we're all imperfect. And it's, it's this path that we're on in life um, that's teaching us, you know, that that's one that allows us to, to have and feel this beauty, this depth, but not be judgmental as, as we're doing that. And uh, yeah, I love that about you. I love that about your message. And even what you said just there, that make, brings a smile to my face. I appreciate that. Awesome. <laughs> well, Ryan, let me ask you two questions to finish us off. First is, um, you gave me the great honor of inviting me, I guess, was it a year ago? Yeah, just about. A year ago uh, to um, take part in your documentary where you had this beautiful vision of creating um, just a documentary about this journey that, uh, was really unique and really different and it was so much fun and so we got to meet each other live and film for the day and it was just amazing and now that documentary has gone on to win all sorts of awards and it's really gaining um you know so much traction and, and helping so many people so where can people find out more about that endeavor yeah so the the book that the documentary is based off of is called one last drop the documentary is called the same name so the uh, website's one last drop doc.com um, and yeah you were incredible on it they can um, go visit that website and we'll have links i'm sure i've seen you you put them at the bottom of, of each of these spots we'll have links up there too um but yeah it's um it's been on the film festival circuit that's been an incredible experience you were phenomenal in it and, and we tie in all three of those um, data points too: athletics alcohol and love so there's pieces in there for everybody you don't have to be solely struggling with alcohol or relationships or athletics there's something in there for everyone um but yeah thank you for talking about that that's been an incredible experience um as we talked about a little bit before the pod it, it's just in a, another film festival here in kansas city that i'm really proud of but um yeah that experience has been incredible you were phenomenal in it you're your presence radiates off the screen i one of the other things i love about you is you can talk about these really high level um, educational points, but you break them down in a way that's so digestible, I think, for the masses that that, that really comes comes off in the screen too. So um, we'll have more information about how your listeners can view that in the um, next weeks and months. Ideally, it'll get on a streaming platform. So once that happens, we'll let everyone know where they can watch it. But for now, um, yeah, just follow along one last drop doc.com and we'll keep them posted from there. That's so cool. I love it. It was so much, so much fun, such important and powerful work. Um, so let me ask you then the question that I always ask at the end of these things, if you were going to go back to Ryan, who was throwing up blood and his three-year-old was trying mm. to make him feel better. And you're going to talk to him about, um, you know, encourage him or give him some wisdom from this future self. What would you say? Yeah. I love how you end all of these paths with that. And my, my response to that would be for me, that it, it starts with, with self-love and understanding that all these things that have happened to us, you know, for some it's high levels of trauma or in our case, like I had athletics, you had, you know, high level sales and marketing. We all, we all have our lives. We all have our stories and we can be so hard on ourselves, so critical of ourselves. And, and as I mentioned, one of the things I appreciate about you and 
the way you write and speak is that foundation of, of love, of self-love. And so for me, if I was talking to me, I was always great at faking it. Like I could lead a yoga class and talk to my class about how they should love themselves and, um, you know, be gentle with themselves. And I was always talking about it, but I never felt it. And so I would tell myself to practice what I preach and, and give myself that love and, and really focus on, like I said, what you focus on intensifies. So focus on all these positive things you have in your life. You know, the, the loving relationship you have with your son, all these positive people you have in your life and start to grow that and build off of that. Because the reality is no matter what's happened in our lives, no matter where we're at, no matter what your current data point is, you do deserve love. You enjoy, or you deserve to enjoy all these incredible experiences that we have in life. And, you know, I talk about imbalances a lot and how our ship can kind of feel like it's off, but it's going to balance itself again, you know, and it may not feel like it in the moment and it may feel super intense, super heavy. You may not feel like you deserve that love, that happiness, but you do. So I would tell myself that, you know, I know you're in it right now. I know it feels heavy. I know it feels intense and you feel like all these things have gone wrong, but you've got a lot to be grateful for in your life. And so focus on that gratitude, focus on that love, on that self-love. And once you start there, then it's going to start to grow and grow, intensify and intensify. And then now all of a sudden, you know, two years later, we're right here. I'm talking to you. I've got uh, an amazing son uh, that's now five and uh, lights up the room when he walks in it. I've got the book, the documentary, all this amazing traction. And if you were to ask me where I thought I'd be two years ago, I would have never thought that was possible, but it, it all starts with love and, and self-love. That's awesome. I love that so much. That's so cool. Just, I guess, one more question, because I know that when people hear this, sometimes they say, well, how? I mean, like yeah. you said, I, I don't actually love myself. I actually hate myself right now. Like, how do you even take the first step? Yeah. And that's where, <clears throat> great question, because for me, I, I didn't think I deserved it. And, and if you don't feel that right now, and the therapist was like, well, you got to tell yourself. And I was like, that's stupid. You know, you can't do that if you don't feel it. And especially people that, that feel intensely like you're going to, if you're removing or reshaping your relationship with alcohol, you're going to feel things more intensely. And that includes the negative. And if that's the case for you, I guarantee you there's people out there in your life. It may not feel like it right now, but there are people in your life that do feel those things about you that feel like you know, you're a great person or that you do these things positive because the reality is we all, we all have them. Um, so if you don't feel it right now, then reach out to some of those people that do, you know, a mom, a dad, sisters, brothers, your kids, um, because somebody's feeling all those positive thoughts and emotions about you right now. And if you can't feel it, then start with them and it'll slowly start to grow. It'll slowly start to radiate until, I mean, it, it was, as I mentioned, it was a week or so before I felt anything like that in my life. And um, I had to really lean on those people, especially my son. I'll never forget. There was a day I was watching a movie with him. I'm like crying. You know, this is day three or four. I'm crying watching a movie at like three in the afternoon because I'm just this emotional wreck. And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm feeling all these negative thoughts and he's not even paying attention. And this is the BDA kids. He just put, puts his hand on my hand and like, it's like everything just stopped. You know, it's like one of those moments you see in a movie where everything just freezes. And uh, I was like, man, this dude loves me. I, I could be doing all these terrible things. And no matter what, you know, this kid's 
going to be there supporting me, loving me. So find, find those people in your life and surround yourself with them until it starts to be real, until it starts to radiate and then take those baby steps and, and grow it out from there, focus it out from there. That's awesome. That's so good. And I, I think the other thing that, you know, I'll add to that is sometimes I think about this idea of, you know, just really asking like, well, what, who are we to sort of um, decide that we're not worthy? And it's like something someone said to me once was so profound. And no matter what you believe sort of spiritually, the truth is you didn't create yourself, right? Like you didn't go and, and it's not like a painting that you painted or a building that you built or a piece of um, art that you created. And so I can understand if you're going to say, okay, this is a piece of art. I created it. I could have done so much better. Right. But actually you (laughs) were created. And so Mm. you are called to just be a steward and care for. And if you frame it like that, then you know, you can move from all these airy fairy feelings of, gosh, I have to love myself because what we've done, I believe as a society, as we've taken what we do and we've confused it with who we are. And especially when it comes to alcohol, we've literally taken our entire worthiness and we've narrowed it down to, do I drink, did I drink today or did I not? And so everything that makes you a human being, you've narrowed it down to one thing, one tiny thing, one tiny behavior. And so you've confused who you are and that you're worthy as a human being that was created with consciousness and a brain and a body and Mm. all that stuff with your behavior. And those two things are not actually the same. They have to be separated in order for you to have some Um, self-love. And what you said earlier, that that great exercise that one of your um, mentors gave you of what if it was all perfect. And that's the same thing. Like fast forward into the future. Imagine that you do yoga 10 times a day and you've written 10 best-selling books and you're a billionaire and you've got the perfect marriage. And like at that moment, if you don't know that you're worthy because you exist, you're not going to know it then either. Right. Yeah. Such such a great point. And, And you're right. So much of life is about perspective. And, and even like you're just talking about with works of art, that's something that's really helped me reframe that too. Somebody can look at the most beautiful, what I would perceive as the most beautiful thing. And they're like, Oh, that, you know, that coloring's a little off. <laughs> and so much of life becomes about perspective too, because you're exactly right. And, and that's where I, I've learned a lesson that perfection imperfection piece is um, where we're at in our lives might like where I might perceive is I'm really struggling right now might be, incredible gains for someone else or vice versa. I might be like, man, I wish I could meditate for 10 minutes like that person does. And, and they're being you know, critical as hell on themselves because they want to meditate for 60 minutes. So, so much of life is about perspective too. And I'm glad you said that. And the other thing you reminded me of is, is having an abundance mindset. This was one of the things that really helped me when I was stopping drinking, reframing my relationship with alcohol was instead of being hyper-focused on, I can't have alcohol, I reframe that to, I can have anything else in the world I want, like Starburst, Sprite, you know, hot to want, like all these crazy games, ice cream, steak, like, what do you want right now that can help you? And that's just an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset of all I can have right now is alcohol, or I want to focus on is alcohol. Or in your case, what you just alluded to is I drank today, you know, well, maybe you drank Maybe you went three days without drinking or maybe a week or maybe a month. 
And so, yeah, that's another beautiful way of reframing it is having that abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset. Like, what are you focused on? Is it the fact that you only went two days instead of wanting to go a week? You know, what, what are you focused on? And I think if we can reframe to that abundance positive mindset instead of scarcity, whether it's, you know, with alcohol or how long they go without it. Um, yeah, those are, I'm, I'm so glad you brought those up because both of those are amazing about perspective and then abundance mindset versus scarcity. Yeah. Love that. Well, this has been so much fun, Ryan. Such an honor to have you on. And of course, to be in your film and all of the things. So I'm. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'm honored to be on the pod and, and so glad that you agreed to help us with the, the documentary. Like I said, your presence radiates on the screen. So thank you so much for having me on and being a part of the doc. Awesome. Did you miss this Naked Mind Live? Do you maybe have a little bit of FOMO? But don't worry, I've got you covered. In fact, I had the entire event professionally recorded and it's available digitally. Transformation in your living room. Yep, that is what it's all about. You can grab your digital ticket at thisnakedmind.com forward slash digital ticket. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today. Thank you.